Hello everyone, and welcome yet again to another episode of Scry. I am the Seer, your host into these glimpses into the obsidian mirror and conjurer of true tales of terror and paranormal fright. I want to first say thank you to all of you who have reached out over the past couple of weeks to offer my family your condolences and sympathies. It has been very warmly received. I cannot thank you all enough. Perhaps the only way to do so is to bring out three terrifying tales to share with you. As I stare into the black mirror, I see our first story taking shape. Coming all the way from South Africa and shared by Hamrammer comes a story of his family dealing with an unusual piece of property. This happened between 1986 and 1987. My father bought a farm in the Free State province of South Africa, which the locals call Ngapabadi. It's Sotho, a native African language, for the place where the blood flows. The first week or so, everything went without incident. I was about three at the time, so this story is partly what I remember and mostly what I've been told. Around the third night or so of the second week, there came a knock at the master bedroom window. My dad opened the curtain to find no one there. Just as he got into bed, the knock came again but this time from the kitchen at the other end of the house. My dad got up, but again, found no one there. As he turned his back on the door, all hell broke loose. The knocking started again, but went in rapid succession from one window to the other, covering the whole house. As my dad gathered all of us together, it suddenly started raining rocks. It went on like this for the rest of the night, until the first African plovers started their calls in the morning. And then all went silent. Apparently, it did not only torment us as the owners of the farm. The farm workers who were left the next morning didn't want to start work out of fear for the Tokolshi, which is a small, hairy, mischievous spirit used by witch doctors to do their bidding, as they believed it was responsible for the phenomenon. Most workers even left the same day. Things slowly escalated from there, as if testing my parents' tolerance. Lots of times... I called for my mom while playing or bathing, etc., telling her to make the uncle leave, only for her to find no one around. Other spirits also started appearing around the house and garden. 
I believe that these were former owners and inhabitants of our farm. They appeared to be wearing clothes from the early 1900s. An older gentleman in his 60s haunted the house, smoking a pipe with a young man around his early 30s. The smell of pipe smoke would sometimes fill the entire living room. On bright sunny days, we'd see a woman in her 30s cutting roses from the formal garden. A young girl around five years old ran around her mother, both of them wearing bonnets as was the custom among Boer folk for centuries. A few nights later, my family heard the neighing of horses in the old stone crawl, which is a type of cattle or livestock enclosure. There was the sound of hooves on the ground, the muted voices of men talking or discussing something, and the sound of the heavy iron gates swaying open, followed by a voice calling, Vorwaltsmann. It roughly translates from Afrikaans, which is closely related to Dutch, to charge men. The horses would then bolt from the open gates, circling the house, accompanied by the sound of horse whips. This usually lasted around 30 minutes every night. The creepy part is that the crawl was used by the Boers during the Anglo-Boer War of 1899. There are also some British graves in the middle of one of the cornfields as a reminder of the Boer victory during some unnamed battle in 1900. One day, my mother cried out in fear. Our healthy Boer-bold dogs were lying on their backs with their eyes turned back in their sockets, their mouths foaming. At first, my parents thought the animals had been poisoned. My father fetched the pickup, put the dogs on the back, and rushed towards town to take them to a vet. Just as my father exited the gate at the border of the farm, the dogs suddenly got up and acted as if nothing was wrong. This continued countless times with the dogs immobilized for up to 15 minutes. Things quickly got worse from this point on. The sound of stones raining on the corrugated roof got worse, and the entity started finding human targets. My father and my 17-year-old brother were on the patio one evening when a stone hit my brother on the forehead. My father and brother both described the sound as a high-pitched whizzing noise, as if the stone had been hurled from a slingshot. The next day, my father installed powerful spotlights around the house and cut all of the lovely fruit trees surrounding the home down in an attempt to catch the culprits. It was all to no avail. Everything continued as usual with no one in sight. It seemed as if the rocks being thrown materialized from thin air. At this stage, the activity started to focus on my brother, 
he stayed in his own one-bedroom flat about 10 meters from the main house. One night, he was studying for a year-end exam when something unseen attacked him from behind. My brother was big and strong and into bodybuilding at that time, but a struggle ensued with the creature trying to strangle him for what he said was quite a few minutes. When my brother finally broke loose from the creature's grip, he was covered in blood and looked like he'd been strangled with a garrote wire. His chest looked like it had been slashed by claws or blunt metal blades. Today, in his 40s, he still bears the scars on his chest. My brother was not the only victim as it turned out. My mom was laying on the bed one day reading a book when she suddenly became paralyzed. Shortly thereafter, a bulldog appeared at the bedroom door. My mother said it felt like an eternity as she soaked in every detail of the entity. It also was a boar bulldog, but he had white spots between his eyes, where ours had black masks. Its face was tinted reddish pink, as if by blood, and red slime dripped from its mouth. The dog then started towards her, jumping on the bed pinning her down and staring into her in the eyes. After what must have felt like an eternity, the dog jumped off and left the room. This happened a few times more, even at night with my father next to her. Being paralyzed, my mother could not alert my father. Being a stout Protestant Christian, my aunt did not believe the accounts she heard from my mother, so she came to visit with my niece, who was around 15 at the time. My sister and my niece were sitting in the bath when a stone flew through the window and cracked the tub between them. My aunt decided to brave the night and sleep over, but when we woke up the next morning, my aunt and niece were gone. They'd packed their bags in the middle of the night and drove the nearly 400 kilometers home. I actually admire her for her bravery as she had to go outside and walk the 20 meters to her car. She said something happened in the spare bedroom shortly after she switched off the lights, but she refuses to tell us what happened to this very day. Although the activity usually started around dusk and continued until the first African plovers called in the early morning hours, activity started to happen during daylight hours as well. There would be whispering around the house as two dark shadows moved around. These same two dark shadows also circled the house every night. We believed 
that they were the cause for the poltergeist-like activity. It is actually reported by the natives that tokoloshes usually work in pairs. At this point, the only time the activity ceased was when the police or people who did not have a close bond to the family visited. It immediately resumed after they left. Around this time, spontaneous fires started around the employees' homes. It started out almost harmless. But one day, some of the employees came bashing at the door, screaming that one of the other workers' houses was burning down and that flames were leaping from the windows. The worker was on leave, and the door was locked from the outside with a strong deadbolt. When they finally opened the door, witnesses saw that only the edges of the kitchen cupboards were burning. After the flames were extinguished and all of the smoke subsided, they were shocked to find that there was no damage apart from the burst windows and smoke. My parents now got desperate as my father had put all of their savings into a deposit for the farm. Selling it then would have financially ruined them. The church did not seem to care and even alleged that my parents did this for the attention. My parents used to be respected people in town as my father was head of the traffic department and a deacon in church. Suddenly, people laughed behind their backs and most in town had abandoned my family at this stage. Some even accused my brother of staging it all. My dad was fed up of nothing working and contacted a traditional African witch doctor from the old Bapathaswana. When the witch doctor came, he asked for a glass of water, looked into it, and told my father things of a very personal nature. Things very few people knew. Certainly, no one in town knew. The witch doctor started to perform a cleansing ritual before he removed a few boxes filled with stuff like fingernail clippings, hair, etc. He then went on to tell my dad that the previous owner had put a curse on the farm as he was pissed off because he went bankrupt and wanted no one else to stay for long. The night after the cleansing, a storm came up. But instead of thunder, there was the crying of a baby. Very freaky. The wind blew from one border fence of the farm to the other, about 1,500 hectares. And then almost everything stopped as suddenly as it had started. Most people don't believe my story. But trust me, sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Scribe. 
Hammer Hammer. All I can say about that story is holy shit. I am glad that your family was able to find help, especially after becoming ridiculed by more, in the Western world at least, traditional institutions. Thank you for that story. It was incredible. When we return, Texas Patriot will tell us of seeing something not quite right and rather unusual on the side of the road on a dark, lonely night. But first, this brief message. Hi, this is JC, host of Mission Spooky. And this is Kiki. Join us every other Tuesday as we teach you about historical sites in Pennsylvania and surrounding states. And we talk about paranormal subjects like ghosts, shadow people, magic, and cryptids. We also choose some of the more peculiar places and events of Pennsylvania to discuss as well. So please join us for some strange fun. And historical subjects wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Scry. I know that there have been times where I've been driving late at night and thought that I saw something that may or may not have been there. Texas Patriot shares a similar encounter, but in his case, he had a witness with him. Let's listen into his tale of a spectral sighting of a spook on a dark, Lone Star State Road. I live way out in the country in a forest now with my 19-year-old daughter and my 8-year-old son. My mother and my wife lived with us, but we lost my mother in August 2014 to liver failure. And then we lost my wife in November 2014 due to complications of stroke, COPD, pneumonia, and sepsis. So it's just us now. One night, not too long ago, we were coming back from town. It was about 10.30pm and out where we live there are no streetlights. I had just passed the cemetery and was coming up to the railroad crossing that is about a quarter mile from the turnoff to our house. I was slowing down to cover the tracks. At my one o'clock position, I saw a man just standing there at the railroad crossing. He looked like he might have been anywhere from his early to late 20s. He was wearing a gray hoodie with a jean jacket and dark pants. He had shoulder-length dark hair. I thought it was an odd place to be standing, but what do I care? As I crossed the tracks, my headlights hit him full on, and I was less than 10 feet from him. I could have sworn he did not have a face. No nose. No eyes, no mouth, no features 
at all. Just a blank gray place where his face should be. I did a double take, but by that time I had passed him and it was dark. Surely I must have imagined that. Surely. Then my daughter, who was in the passenger seat and even closer to him when we passed, turned to me as white as a sheet. She asks, Did you see that guy at the railroad tracks? He didn't have a face. I don't know what to make of it. I certainly wasn't going to go back to investigate with my children in the car. When I got to our gate, I could make out the railroad crossing, but I could not see if someone was there. I made the sign of the cross, got out to open the gate, and kept a hand on my 1911. I haven't seen it again since that night. Texas Patriot, thank you for that story. And I know that some time has already passed, but I would still like to offer my sympathies to you and yours for the loss of your mother and your wife. I am sure that they are watching over you and your children always. Before we conjure forth our next tale, it's time for the curse of the week. of Newt, Loch Ness Monster Scales, and a wing of Bat, and shit. I think I just made COVID-20. Let's keep this on the DL. For this episode, Stacy wished to curse her friend Jennifer, and I have mixed the necessary ingredients for just such a curse. Jennifer, you have been cursed. May you be bitten on the titty by an angry goose. So let it be done. <laughs> if you have someone that you want to curse, find Scry on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and let us know who you want to have minorly inconvenienced in our curse of the week. But now, back to our stories. In our final tale, North Polar shares a story in which a group of roommates try to save some money on their rent, but things take an unsettling turn that may involve multiple deaths, jewelry, and a cameo from a fucking Furby. Here is their tale. (laughs) 
here's an old story from when I was barely out of high school and had my first apartment with roommates. One of them was a co-worker who turned out to be Wiccan or Pagan or something. I can't really remember and I haven't seen her in years. The building we were in was creepy as fuck for a good handful of reasons. The bedroom wall would get scratchy noises randomly for a couple minutes here and there at night. Except it was 15 plus feet up in the air. Occasionally, you'd find it hard to breathe in the shower. The tub would randomly start and stop, and there were large, and I mean large, water stains on the ceiling, among other things. Anyhow, we did odd jobs for the landlord for our break on our rent. This was probably July 2004, I think, so the weather was in the mid-70s or so. Anyhow, the landlord, or slumlord to be blunt, wanted the apartment above us cleaned out and we'd get a decent chunk taken off of our rent. So we figured why not? It turned out the apartment had been locked up for at least a year since something had happened and they wanted it to be able to rent again. Despite my shitty memory and all the associated issues from my medical problems, this memory, along with a few others, are just burned into my mind under what the fuck. We opened the apartment, and the first thing we saw was garbage bags full of stuff. A recliner, TV, and oddly enough, around six to eight inches below the ceiling is a shelf that wraps around every wall. Any and every possible space on the shelf is filled with Furbies. At least two or three of them turned on when we entered the apartment. Fuck if I know if they are motion triggered or what, but it was fucking creepy. By the way, the power was still on. Picture a large C-shape for the apartment. Entrance, living room, and kitchen are two-thirds of the shape, with the top being the bedroom and bathroom. Stepping into the bedroom, there was luggage, more bags, clothes, and stacks of paperwork everywhere with the bed in the middle of the chaos and small shelves on the walls. Almost as if they were in the middle of packing in a hurry when something had stopped them. After a step or two, it was like I was put on autopilot and just watching things happen. I stepped around a black garbage bag of clothes to the right of the door, over a small stack of books, and hooked a left next to the bed so I'm facing the back wall of the bedroom with the bathroom door to my right. 
there was a big stack of binders, folders, and paperwork directly in front of me. I picked up four binders and put them on the bed, then pulled the seventh folder out of the stack and flipped to page 13, reading midway down. Next thing I know, I'm in the parking lot with my roommates looking at me and asking if I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm shaking and freezing cold in the middle of a clear-skied summer afternoon. Somehow or another, I ended up with a diamond necklace in my hand. And I'll never forget the name Charity Hamilton. We because fuck going in there on my own. Went back just to put the damn necklace back from wherever it came from, which apparently was on a dust-covered shelf on the far other side of the bed that nobody saw me get anywhere near. But you could tell from the dust outline of where it was. Supposedly, at least, I don't remember putting it back either but I apparently took a lot of care in putting it back exactly how it was previously. According to my roommates, and to be blunt, I've never bothered to look it up as I don't want an answer to this. It turned out that a year and a half prior, there was, I think, a triple murder upstairs. A lady had run off with her girlfriend and brought her daughter with her. The pissed off husband found out where they went and killed them, finishing by strangling Charity, the daughter, in the bathtub. North Polar, thank you for sharing that story with us. Perhaps I should stare into the obsidian mirror and see if I can find something out about Charity Hamilton. Hopefully, replacing the necklace prevented any future episodes of a supernatural slant. I also have to state that I am jealous of your mid-July weather in the 70s. It has been in the high 90s for weeks here, with humidity reaching 80% at times. If my swamp ass was any worse, the creature from the Black Lagoon would be chilling in my boxer shorts. Thank you everyone who has shared their story with us thus far. And don't forget, you still have about a week left to submit your story on scrypod.com for a chance to win a free Scry t-shirt. So hurry up and get those stories submitted and help share the scare. You also have a chance to win a free Scry shirt by sending us a screenshot of your review on Apple Podcasts. Spinky Cow did just that because Spinky Cow is awesome and wrote, I found this podcast through the Real Life Ghost Stories podcast recommendation, and I'm happy I did. The podcast is jam-packed with short, creepy stories 
a safe way to experience some scares. Be like Speaky Cow and leave us a review. Special thanks to Mew and Shadow Vibe, whose music appears throughout the stories in this episode and appears courtesy of a Creative Commons license. If after listening to Scry, you feel that you still need something spooky and you are on a mission for something spooky, well, I'll make it easy on you and recommend that you check out Mission Spooky. JC and Kiki share some fantastic stories that focus around Pennsylvania. And even though I live elsewhere, I keep finding myself listening and wanting to take a road trip out there and get some good scares. Mission Spooky is seriously a fantastic and entertaining listen, so check them out. But for now, it is time to close the gate once again. And as always, say goodbye. This is Scry. <laughs>